turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. We'll be in chapter 4 and 5. The reason for chapter 4, well, I'm, I'm preaching in chapter 5. But the reason for chapter 4 is to give you the, the, back, the backbone here, the, the backstory, because I think you need to understand that. Paul takes uh, great uh, pains, if you will, to write us a very uh, uh, detailed letter in Romans. And we've talked about this before. In fact, I think this is the third or fourth Sunday perhaps we've been in Romans. But uh, in chapter 4 of Romans, Paul is trying to explain to us the nature of our salvation is not based upon what we do or works theology, but based upon what God did. Okay, grace so he takes a moment in chapter 4, and remember when these was, were originally written, this was not given chapters, it was a letter, okay, uh, a document, So, but we've broken it down. But chapter 4 talks about the faith of our father Abraham, and many of you are familiar with that story, so I'm not going to spend much time on that, but here's what the scriptures say, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, uh, primarily because we're in Romans, and, and for a uh, uh, to teach it to you, it's easier than trying to explain certain words to you. So this gives you a great context. Uh, chapter one, excuse me, chapter four, verse one of uh, Romans says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. So Paul is uh, is Jewish, and he's speaking to the Jews and letting them know that, uh, humanly speaking, Abraham is the founder of the Jewish nation. And then he asks this question. He says, what did he discover about being made right with God? So Abraham is very, very important to the Jews and very, very important to us. But in his context of his audience, um, he was asking the question. He says, so then what was it that he found out was so important about being made right with God? They respected Abraham immensely as a forefather, and they, and they knew all of his stories and the history. So he simply says, what, what, what do you think about Abraham? Abraham understood righteousness with God was through faith, so he poses this question. And then he goes on and he says in, in verse 2, if his, speaking of Abraham, if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, in other words, if what he did made him acceptable to God, his, his works, it goes on to say he would have had something to boast about. He would have had something to brag about, right? And that's the way we are in society today. We, we want to take credit for everything we do, and Paul is uh, pointing, pointing out that Abraham, uh, if he were saved made righteous by his works, that would have been something he could have boasted about, thumped his chest about. But Abraham knew better, and Paul's pointing this out. He's, he's getting right down to the nitty-gritty. This is where the, the rubber hits the road, so to speak. So verse 3 says, For the Scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then he goes on for the rest of this chapter saying, how does, how does that happen? And he talks about this covenant of circumcision. And without getting into all the details of circumcision, it was a covenant that, uh, an Abrahamic covenant that uh, indicated people were Jewish and following the God of Israel. So the question had come up essentially was this. Did the circumcision save him or was it something that had happened uh, as a result of his belief? Well, Paul very, very clearly articulates that uh, in verse 11 of that same chapter, circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him 
and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So we may think that's kind of disgusting or silly to be speaking of in this setting, but uh, for them it was very, very important and it was a, a paramount covenant that was indicative of a relationship with God, but he wanted to remind both them and his audience and all of us that the circumcision is comparable to, and this is my words as an example, baptism, and I don't mean baptism of the Spirit, I mean a physical baptism of, of, of uh, dunking someone in the water, as we've seen many times here. Those people that I have baptized, okay, have declared their faith in Jesus Christ before they got baptized. This was a sign of their faith. And again, I'm not talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about that we get baptized because we're commanded to do so. Baptizing them in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then telling others and teaching them these commandments. Baptism is something that we do and should desire to do. Circumcision was something that they do and should desire to do. Not because it created them in them a, a righteous work, but because of a faith that they already had. So that's essentially what chapter 4 says. We're saved by grace, not by what we do. And that was a pivotal point to be making in that society at that time. It was a big, big deal to them. So we understand that. We've heard many sermons on, for me, I know you have, uh, we're not saved by works, but we're saved by our faith. But faith uh, alone is not sufficient that we, we get into the book of James and that uh, faith without works is dead, right? So we, we've had this issue going on in the church for many and many a century. And uh, I got to tell you, my own personal feeling, well, that's not a feeling, it's, it's, a tr- it's the truth, is that a person claims to be a Christian, claims to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, a follower of Jesus, but you never see that fruit or they, they act just like the rest of the world, I really have to question their salvation. Not based on their works, but based on their uh, proclamation of their faith. People can say they're Christian, doesn't mean that they are. People can be circumcised, it doesn't mean that they're Jewish or Christian. People can be baptized in the water, doesn't mean they're a Christian. That is the one hang-up that I think Satan loves to use when I have conversations with people. What's the almost exclusively the first thing that comes out of a person's mouth when they say they're a Christian? I've been baptized. Whoopie-doo. No disrespect, but whoopie-doo. That doesn't mean you're a Christian. Now, us as believers in the Word and believers that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, absolutely we get baptized because we've already been saved and we're expressing an outward sign of an inward decision. We understand that, but there are so many, and I, I, it, it's scary, the number of people that don't understand that premise. I've had the opportunity to teach in other churches, and one of the things, that, at least in the Baptist realm, and I know some other denominations is, what is your belief on baptism? Are you saved by being dunked in the water, or are you not? It's very, it's very uh, important that you understand our doctrine is that, that water does not save you. Jesus Christ does. Okay? Do we want you to be baptized? Yes. But don't put your faith in that tub back there, folks. Okay? 
Um, that's what Paul is trying to tell us and his listeners uh, in Romans chapter 4. So that brings us to Romans chapter 5. And based upon that, he starts off in chapter 5 and he says this, Therefore, that's why I had to tell you what I told you. Okay? Because if I started off with therefore, it'd be like, therefore what? <laughs> so therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with our God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. What he did. What he did. So when you end up at the pearly gates, so to speak, and uh, why should you, why ask you the question of why should you, they let you in? If you say, well, because I did this, then that's a quick escalator to hell. <laughs> I, I, I know that's not biblically speaking. I'm just, you know, the way the world illustrates <clears throat> heaven and hell is that way, that they get uh, St. Peter at the pearly gates, but. You know what I'm saying. So if the first words that come out of your mouth are, I did, uh, it, you're, it's a problem. If it's, I believe that Jesus Christ is the bearer of my sins and I'm only counted righteous because of what he did, that's really good news for you. You, you have an understanding of the magnitude of your sin. So let me continue to read in. Uh, Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to read a lot of it, and then I'll go back and pick up a couple things. We won't be very long, so the clock is accurate up here. It's, it's, a, it's a holy clock. It's got a hole in the wall now. It's, a, it's actually in the back of my truck. I need to put a battery in it. So. Um, so, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Verse 3, and we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Now notice this in verse 6. It says, when we were utterly helpless. He's speaking to the people of Israel. He's speaking to them. He's also speaking through the Holy Spirit to you and to me. When you were utterly hopeless and helpless, excuse me, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, Paul says. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Folks, do you get that? Uh, Christ didn't come and die because you cleaned up your act. Christ died for you. God sent his one and only son 
while you're still in sin. That's a miracle. God loved us so much that he gave us his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So, we were still sinners when God showed his great love and mercy by sending his son to die. In verse 9, and since we have been made right in God's sight, listen, by the blood of Christ, there it is again, by what Christ did, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So if Christ was sent while we were still sinners, how much more does God love us now that we're in Christ? In fact, he goes on to talk about that. It says in verse 10, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his Son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. So we were enemies of God. Folks, that's not a place to be. For those who have not yet recognized the sin in their lives and, 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 and the nature of that sin, that separation from the holiest of holies, uh, that's a bad place to be. You see, we have a sin problem. And uh, it's about this point in uh, Paul's letter that he says, okay, time out. I want to explain some things to you because now this is some deep stuff. You're saved by what Jesus did, not by what you do. And you were enemies of God and now you're friends of God. And so I want to explain to you the linear theology of this. Very, it's very simple to understand. But anybody with any kind of interest at all in knowing the truth will go back and read Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4, and then they get to 5 because you can't just start with 5 because people who live in the society today were complex thinkers have to know why. Paul says, okay. I'm going to tell you why. Okay? So, Paul says this in verse 12 of Romans chapter 5. When Adam, so he goes all the way back to the beginning. Okay? When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Pretty simple concept, right? But if you start with that, people are going to go, who's Adam, what is sin, and what's the big deal? And that's where a lot of churches start, right? And that's why people give the answer of, I've been baptized, and they don't understand anything else because they haven't thought it through, or they've been told, not necessarily a lie, but not contextually, everything they need to know to make a decision, to have their hearts pierced by the Holy Spirit, because, listen, unless we're praying for those people... Nothing's going to happen because they're enemies of God. It takes prayer of people to move. The Holy Spirit comes and goes as He pleases. I don't mean that at all. But I'm going to tell you something. Your prayers are powerful weapons in the spiritual realm. Because the Bible tells us more than 
more than enough times to ingrain it in us, you were born a sinner. You were born into iniquity. It was not by anything you did, but by the very nature that you're a human being. And this is where Paul goes with this. He says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And listen to this. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. There would be some people in the audience, I would imagine, of his folks that were listening or reading this going, I've lived a righteous life. I've I've tithed. I've I've been to the Holy of Holies. I've I've done what I'm supposed to do. I've done my sacrifices. I've prayed every day. I've given my alms. I've done all these things. That would be a hard pill to swallow for some people. And because it is a hard pill to swallow, you've just sinned because uh, uh, humility has, has, has... not taking place where it needs to take place. Pride is showing its ugly roots. Because you're trying to take credit for something you did. So listen to this. Verse 13. And this this is a sermon in itself, and I've, and I've highlighted it here, uh, only because it's so important, but I'm not going to preach on it this morning other than to say what it says. Yes, Verse 13, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Listen to this. People sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. So legislatures make laws and if they don't make laws, and let's say speeding is the example that I use all the time, how would you know what the speed was, right? You don't really break the law unless there's a law that says, here's the limit. In the same sense, what Paul is doing at a very, very basic level for all of us, but at a higher level from, for the, uh, people who study this stuff, is he's establishing the fact that... Uh, uh, What about all those people before the birth of Jesus Christ? What about all those people? What what about everybody in the Old Testament? So again, this is another sermon, another day, do another uh, whole series on that. But he says, listen, they were sinners too. (laughs) Okay? He said, in a sense too, from from the mile high view is that we are all sinners, not just you folks here listening to this message at the time that Paul is reading it or writing it, or even as you're listening to it now, but since the beginning of time, because Adam's sin, death was introduced into the world because of his sin. And everyone, it says in verse 14, died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. You know what that's saying? For those of you in the audience, for those of you in the congregation, for those of you listening to this, for those of you reading this, who are certain that you have not sinned, even the most righteous of righteous human beings fall short of the glory of God. And he tells us that earlier. And he tells us that later. And again, and again. That we all have sinned. 
So what he's saying here, because you know that his audience is thinking of Abraham, Moses, Noah, uh, Jonah, David, the list goes on and on. These are people that they idolized, if you will. And what he's saying is even they who you view as the righteous of righteouses, is that a right word? Sinned. Whoa, wait a minute. Uh, what? We have pictures of them in our library. We have columnate, we have giant statues of these people, whatever. They're not godly. He didn't say they're not godly. He just says they're still sinners. <laughs> right? See, that's that's the thing. If you can find somebody in your life to become friends with that is just emanates Christian love. And I hope that you do. They have a core understanding that even they are a sinner and they live that kind of life. You see, people who sit in a pew and, and then they spend their whole lives judging others, uh, it's not where God wants you to be. He wants you to humbly serve him let him be the judge. We correct people. Yes, it's, it's, due, it's, it's just and right for us to bring people back into line. But you're not the judge. You're to love them unconditionally, just as Jesus Christ has loved you. And there's all kinds of verses on love. So, still, everyone died from the time of Moses to the time, excuse me, from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of commandment of God as Adam did. And again, just to add another commentary to that, when it says an explicit commandment, that would mean, as an example, even those, uh, uh, you know, Adam was flat out told not to eat from the tree of life, flat out did it, okay? So, he's saying that even if you haven't murdered anybody, even if you haven't stolen from anybody, even if you haven't lied to anybody in court of law, even if you haven't done the most, you know, it's still, it's the, it's the smallest of things that keep us from the grandest of places. People with good intentions don't end up in heaven unless their intention is to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I've heard this said before that hell is full of people with good intentions. But in verse 15, it says there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. Now listen. The sin of this one man brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through his, this other man, Jesus Christ. And he goes on. And as the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin, let me repeat that, and the result of God's gracious gift, Jesus Christ, all right, is very different from the result of that one man's sin, Adam's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, Adam, okay? And he says, but God's free gift leads us to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Adam's sin led to condemnation and death, but God's free gift leads us to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. This is a huge, huge revelation for these people, and it should be 
for us, if we understand Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4 from the context of a church. That is, we have a sin problem. We're enemies of God, and it, it doesn't stop there. In chapter 5, he says, even though you're enemies, there is great joy in knowing that through faith in Jesus Christ, who in a sense is the second Adam. We've got to be careful with that. But as Adam brought sin into the world and all died and all have died and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now Jesus Christ has come onto the scene and many will be saved because of the gracious act of the Father and the sacrifice of the Son and His death and His burial and His resurrection. And we spoke before those who believe in their heart in the death and the burial and the resurrection and confess with their mouth shall be saved. Verse 17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death. Listen. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. The key word there is for all those who will receive it. I can't tell you, folks, that this has been taken out of context. People believe because Jesus Christ died on the cross for all sinners and all mankind and once for all that, that we don't have to do anything. Because just like Adam brought sin into the world and death, Jesus Christ brought life and eternal glory to the Father in heaven. And people accepted, have accepted that doctrine without understanding that they must take the step of faith. Do, do you understand? That's very important to me that you understand that. Yes, Jesus Christ died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. And he was raised three days later. And he walked this earth. And he was risen. He's at the right hand of the Father right now. That happened, okay? But the scripture is very clear. Just because that happened doesn't mean you now are made righteous and are going to heaven. It's only for those who choose to believe that and confess that. Can you preach it? That's the truth. Don't, don't think because Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and I never turn from my sin, I never repent of my sin and receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior that I'm going to be in heaven. It doesn't work that way. That's why Paul was so adamant why he's the author of so many of our New Testament letters he understood this concept that is very complicated yet simple. So do not be told by your friends and neighbors, which we hear all the time in general conversation, I'm a Christian and I'm going to heaven because when I've been baptized, whoopee-doo, good for you. But people really have shut off their brains, I think intentionally. And I think under the influence of demons, I think out of lack of prayer and desire and just laziness and complacency, our society is headed that direction that people generally want to believe they're going to go to heaven and they don't have to do anything about it because the Bible says that. No, it doesn't. Yes, you don't go to heaven based on your works, but you must make a decision about your own soul. Where are you going to be? That's the truth of God's word this morning, folks. 
that though we are not saved by our works and what we do and taking credit for any of that, for none of us would then uh, be able to boast, but for what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. Amen? And the Bible is very clear that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone shall be saved. But just because he died on the cross doesn't mean everybody in the world is going to go to heaven. That's a very real ideology out there that we need to be careful of. It's nice to think that, isn't it? And where we find that most prevalent is when we go to a visitation. Have you ever been to a visitation where somebody was going to hell? No, people don't talk about that. Because at a visitation, God loves everybody and everybody's in heaven. And that may be the right position to take out of decency as a human being when you're there. But understand this, that theology is not correct. It's not based on what you did, but based on what Jesus Christ did. Not on your denomination, but on your belief. What's in your heart? Has the information traveled the 18 inches from your brain to your your heart my fear is that we we pay a lot of credence to the heart but we need to understand some things and we need to understand them correctly okay and understand that you must repent of your sins and turn to jesus christ to be saved and just because he is the quote-unquote second adam and as death entered the world through adam so life has entered the world through jesus there is a step there that we conveniently leave out repentance and faith in Jesus. That's a big step. And it has become a stumbling block, as the Bible tells us, to many a people. May it not be a stumbling block to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Romans. Thank you that Paul was inspired and directed his very hands with your Holy Spirit, Lord God, and that has been preserved for all these years. Lord, I just pray that uh, if there's anybody now that doesn't understand the conditions of the new covenant, when we do the Holy Communion, it's do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of what? His body and his blood. Jesus' body and blood that was shed on the cross for us, but it didn't end there. He gave us the ultimate sacrifice and, and, and was buried and came back to life. And we need to put our faith and trust in that and in him alone. And how we do that, we repent. Repent of our sins, recognize the nature of who we are, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Even those of us who have lived by our own standards a righteous and good life, Lord. I pray for my friends and my family and my congregation that you make this understood to them, make it understood clearly, Lord what it takes, and that is faith because of your grace and the works of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.